Well, good evening, everyone. Sorry, my voice cracked on me a bit there. All right. Thank you for being here. Um, I'm glad to see such a good crowd of people. That's really encouraging. And so tonight we are going to continue in our new series in the Fruit of the Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Galatians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you there. You rack. Um, and we'll join together in going to the Word of God to see what He has to tell us. And we started last week with the first um, of the fruit of the Spirit there in Galatians 5, which is love. We spent last week talking about that. We'll move on today to the next one there, which is joy. So that is the title for our speaking time tonight is joy. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we will get started. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come here to sing praises to your name, Lord, to open up your word, to be taught by it. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us tonight as Christians. Lord, reveal to us the ways in our lives in which we are not exhibiting joy, which we are not shining a light before the world. Uh, to point people to Christ. I pray you would convict us of that. Lord, help us to, to come back to you, to come back to the joy that we have because of salvation in Christ. Thank you for your grace and your mercy, your kindness towards us. Um, we are so grateful, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, in Galatians chapter 5 is where we're at. Um, and I want you to, before we read that, I just want to remind you that um, as we go through these, um, and here we are on the second aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, um, which is joy, and I want to remember that uh, the fruit of the Spirit is not a, a list of nine characteristics that you might have as a Christian or that you pick and choose from as a Christian, but this is a, something that is produced by God. Produced by the Holy Spirit. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, this is a part of the life of every Christian. Um, all of these that we will go through. So it's, again, not a list that we go, hey, I'm going to be joyful today, and, uh, but I don't have this one. The Holy Spirit is working all of these in us. Okay, It's what God does. He produces in and manifests through all Christians his fruit. And it, it matches his character perfectly. So let's read in Galatians chapter 5. And verses 22 and 23 are the verses where we find the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I'm going to go on to 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And we remember that in this passage, there's this major contrast that Paul is making between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? They don't mesh um, we have the fruit of the Spirit as Christians, and it's to keep us from doing those things that are works of the flesh. Uh, and the word that Paul used in Galatians 5.22, when he's talking about joy here, has the meaning of an 
inner cheerfulness or gladness or delight. So we think about it in that way. It's not a, it's not a surface level, lightweight feeling that can be blown away by the winds of adversity. It is, uh, it's deep down. The deep down, it's based on foundational truth. Okay, and let's, let's look at what some other folks had to say when defining what Paul means when he writes about joy here. And, and when I read these, I want you to listen for similarities. Um, these are from different, different uh, Bible commentators. Donald Campbell, former president of Dallas Theological Seminary, says, Joy is a deep and abiding inner rejoicing which was promised to those who abide in Christ. It does not depend on circumstances because it rests in God's sovereign control of all things. And William McDonald says, Joy is contentment and satisfaction with God and with his dealings. And um, Barclay says, It is not the joy that comes from earthly things, still less from triumphing over someone else in competition. It is a joy whose foundation is God. Okay, so I asked you to listen for similarities in those definitions of joy. What would you say is a constant in those definitions of joy? Abiding in Christ, okay? Anyone else worded a different way? Right, okay? Yeah, abiding in Christ it doesn't have to do with circumstances. It's not hinging on our circumstances. Ultimately, the major connection between these definitions, at least, is God. God as the foundation. And so you and I as Christians remember that our joy comes from God. He is the foundation for all of our joy. Um, and it, that's where its roots are. He is the beginning of joy. He is the foundation of true joy. And that's what I meant when I said at the beginning that joy is based on, on foundational truth. Okay, that truth being God is the king. God is, he's the ruler of all nations. He is sovereignly controlling all things. He knows all things. He works all things out for the good of his children and for his glory. That's where joy comes from. It comes from knowledge of that truth. I mean, if we simplified it, Knowledge of who God is should bring about a joy in us. And Psalm 135, 5 through 7 says, For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. This is God. This is our God. It's what the psalmist is writing. It's what he knows to be true about God. It's what is, uh, it's, if God does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth, shouldn't you and I want to be on the right side of that? Right? For these reasons and even more, we're meant to find our joy in God. That's where we find it. But not just because we fear God do we do we fear God with a reverential fear? Yes. But not just because of that. But the point we're talking about is that this joy comes from the Spirit of that same God. He gives us His joy 
based on who he is and what he has done. Okay, we, we're not, as Christians, we're not or we shouldn't be begrudgingly joyful. Um, the joy just flows from within us because we know God and we know what he's done and we know who he is. Paul's not talking about, when he talks about joy, he's not talking about a mood, um, a mood that comes and goes with the tide of feelings and events. Again, and this is where it gets hard for us, right? Because we're the ones living our life. We're the ones that know how difficult it is and what things we're struggling through. Um, so, but we need to have right thinking that joy is not a mood. We had to say it's, it's something, it's an attitude based in truth, right? Again, it always comes back to that foundational truth about who God is. Another commentary put it this way, this joy is from a deep confidence that is rooted in God's sovereign control of the universe, on his unchanging divine promises, and on eternal spiritual realities, including the assurance of ultimate victory for those in Christ. What victory is that talking about? What victory do we have to be joyful about? Amen, right? The victory over sin and death. Is, if we can't be joyful about that, we can't be joyful about anything. Because we know us. We know that we are sinners and we need a Savior. And that's what Christ has done. Joy flows from that. When an angel uh, of the Lord appeared to shepherds in the field, uh, when Christ was born, what did the angel say after telling him not to be afraid? Right. In Luke 2.10, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of what? Great joy that will be for all the people. Why was that proclamation that he was about to make, the angel of the Lord, why was that good news? Why would there be great joy for all people associated with a birth announcement for one child? Well, because of who the child was. And what the child came to do. In verse 11, if you follow down after that, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This is good news for all who would be saved. Not so good a news for the many who reject Christ. That's very true. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute, but that's a really good point. And we'll talk about the difference between happiness and joy. Um, but we see right from the start that the coming of Christ is declared by God to bring about joy. All right? We, we have to, as Christians, we have to remember that joy is not just over the birth of Christ, though we are joyful about that, but the result of one putting their trust in him for the forgiveness of sins and salvation. Right, that's the key. Without the forgiveness of sins, which, which of us has any reason for joy? None of us. It goes to the point you are just making. This is only Christians are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. This is a fruit of the Spirit. Unbelievers don't have the Spirit of God. They can't experience this kind of joy. Why is there no joy to be had by the one who lives and dies apart from Christ? Why is there no joy to be had? Because of what? 
they will they don't have a peaceful future after their death, right? They do have a future. Unfortunately, it is separated from God in hell for eternity. That is nothing to be joyful about. Okay? People without Christ, they, they die apart from Christ. They are left in their sins, and they are left to be the ones who pay the penalty for their sins. But on the flip side, for Christians, Christ has paid the penalty for our sins. And there is joy, great joy in that. Whatever happiness there is uh, for the unbeliever on earth throughout their life, however long their lifespan is, whatever happiness is there will be swallowed up in death. It is temporary. It is fleeting. Um, So in thinking about that happiness and going back to the point CJ was making, is there a difference between happiness and joy? What would you say the difference is between happiness and joy? And joy. Okay? Yeah, I mean, we could say the difference between happiness and joy, true joy is salvation. Absolutely. Absolutely true. But if you're going to try to explain it even further down, what would you say? Yes. Happiness can be fleeting. And it is. It's, it's not lasting. Yeah. Okay. Happiness is a state of mind. Joy is a state of your spirit. Okay. Yeah, I, can, I could agree with that. And the thing about happiness being a state of mind is it's a state of mind based on good circumstances. Something good has happened to me, so I'm happy. I just received this or that gift. I'm happy. Uh, things went my way. I'm happy. But happiness is temporary. Right? There's always, as all of us can testify to, as we live our lives, we may be feeling good at the moment, but there's always something around the corner. There's always some sickness. There's always some loss. There's always some pain, suffering of some sort. It is a part of life. And we know that to be true. So what happens when that changes, when those circumstances change? My happiness goes away. But does my joy in Christ go away? No, it doesn't. Happiness is temporary and based on and motivated by good circumstances. It is fleeting. It is fickle. And Charles Spurgeon said this, That word joyful is a very sweet and clear one. Happiness is a very dainty word, but yet it is somewhat insecure because it begins with a hap and seems to depend on a chance which may happen to the soul. We say happy-go-lucky, and that is very much the world's happiness. It is a kind of thing that may hap and may not hap, But there is no hap in the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy. When we are joyful or full of joy, and that of the best kind, we are favored indeed. No man taketh this joy from us, and a stranger intermeddleth not with it. It is a celestial fruit, and earth cannot produce its like. This is the kind of joy we are talking about. It It is celestial. It is from God. It is produced by God through his Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. It is God's own nature, and he manifests it to his children. He gives us this this joy. For the Christian, joy is really an unstoppable result of being free from the fear of death because of sin. By receiving Jesus Christ as Savior, how could there be anything bringing more joy than a person knowing God is with them? And having the understanding that all is well between them and their Lord, 
Because prior to salvation, we know all is not well between us and God. We are his enemy. But Christ came, died for us while we are his enemies to free us from that, to save us from our sin and from the wrath of God. There can't be any joy apart from that and no greater joy than that. Yes. That's right. Right. We want to sin less. We want to be more like Christ, and that is what God is producing in us. It's called sanctification. Right? And it's what Paul wrote about, too, what you're talking about. Paul wrote about that when he said, there is no, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's how we should view our salvation. We are not going to be condemned. Judgment in the sense of condemnation where we're cast into hell. That is gone if you are in Christ. So yeah, that is something absolutely to be joyful about. Again, it, this joy and this, what we're talking about here is, in, is based in truth as we put our faith in, uh, in the Lord. And the, the Bible tells us exactly what faith is. We don't even have to wonder what faith is. It's not a blind leap. Many people talk about faith and think it's a, they call it a blind leap of faith. That's not what it is. Faith is not a crutch. Some people think Christians use their faith as a crutch, right? Maybe you've heard that before. But what does the author of Hebrews say? He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It tells us, the Bible tells us what faith is. We hear in God's definition of faith words like assurance and conviction. And these are not blind words. They're not Words of maybe or perhaps. Um, assurance and conviction are words based on God's promises and the truth of his word. These are, these are absolutes. They're not what-ifs. Um, so assurance and conviction, these both are a work of God's spirit within believers to give us assurance, to convict us of the truth of his word, and that we can trust him. And this assurance and conviction, this this is faith. That's what it is. This is what the Apostle Peter wrote about when he indicated we, we cannot rely, we, we can't even really um, express the kind of joy produced by the Spirit in our lives. Um, and so he says in 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Okay, it's, and we can talk about joy, and that's what we're doing. We can try to understand it, but really the Bible tells us this kind of joy is really inexpressible. If we're trying to explain it in the truest sense, there's no way that we can truly express what the fruit of the Spirit of joy is. It doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about it, and we are, and we're, we're going to keep doing it. Um, but it's just one of those things that reminds us of the majesty of God, the greatness of God, that as amazing as this kind of joy can be and the understanding we can have, it goes so far beyond that, we can't even press it. 
there are things in our lives, we think about it, there are things in our lives as Christians that hinder our joy, that keep us from being joyful, things that rob us of the joy that we have in Christ. And I don't mean the Spirit of God has not produced that joy in us, but it sometimes can be squelched. We can sometimes set it aside, even forget about it. Well, what is it? What what are the things that can rob us of our joy? What can you think of that sin right there? Number one, sin. What else? What robs Christians of their joy? Yes. Unbelief. Absolutely. Yes. What else? Doubts. Okay, that kind of goes with, with the unbelief. Other things. Okay, looking for joy in the wrong places. When I try to find joy in the world, that's an excellent one. Yeah, yeah, moving, if I'm moving away from the Lord, moving away from his people, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hinder my joy as a Christian because God intended us to be in fellowship as believers um, together. Um, so we don't want to remove ourselves from Christian fellowship. So, but really what's going on when we're robbed of our joy? The fact is, those things do rob us of joy for a time, but it's only because we've chosen to trust the wrong things, like the point you made about trying to find joy in the world. Um, or even what you made, the point you made about unbelieving, right? When you and I are living without joy, it's not because of our trials. I mean, we'll blame, blame it on our trials, but it's because we've forgotten the truth about who we are in Christ. We are, we are disbelieving something about what God has said. And, and so, so for a time at least, we're not believing God. We find his word not to be true for a time. We drift away from him for a time. We, we think he's far off or he's abandoned us for a time. But it's not true. right? We're, we're basing those things on what's happening to us, what we see around us, but it's not truth. And notice that I ended all of those statements with, for a time. And the reason for that is because eventually we get our heads on straight and we start thinking right if we're Christians. Okay? And how does it happen? Is it, is it um, it's, it's always a product of the Holy Spirit causing joy to well up in us again. We, we have to remember, it's always from him. Well, how does the Spirit do it, though? What, what are some of the means the Holy Spirit uses to remind us, to bring us back to a place of joy? Okay, so I, I heard two things in there. The Holy Spirit uses our conscience, and the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God. Okay? What else? Fellowship with believers. Okay? Other, he uses other Christians. Okay? Through singing. Any others? What was that? Faith. Okay? An in- increase of faith.
That's right. I, and I think that's the key to all this. All of these things are true in how the Holy Spirit will bring a person back. Um, ultimately, he uses the Bible, which we also call the Word of God. It's what God has said, right? He, he uses other Christians with the Bible, maybe a friend with the Bible, a pastor with the Bible, uh, a book explaining the Bible, a song where you're singing the Bible, a sermon from the Bible, a verse from the Bible, even the rebuke of a brother or sister in Christ regarding your sin or failure to trust God from the Bible. But the way we make these corrections with each other is always with the Word of God. Yes. Right. Right. We need consistency in the Word of God. And that's really the point. And why I keep saying the Bible, why do I keep pointing that out in terms of how the Holy Spirit brings us back, um, brings us out of these times where we have been robbed of our joy? The Bible is the very Word of God. It is our standard. It is our authority for everything. It is God speaking to us. It's an amazing thing that we have the Word of God in our Bibles. Um, it's what makes a person wise for salvation. We learn that in the Bible. Wise for living. Wise for suffering through trials. Wise for killing sin in our lives. Wise for reconciling relationships that are broken. Um, in short, wise for remembering the promises and truth about God. If we, if we depart from the Scripture or we set the Scripture aside, we will be robbed of our joy. It won't take long. Because we'll be looking for joy in all the wrong places. But when you and I set the word of God aside, we forget, we drift away, we, we begin to flounder in life. In short, we sin. It will lead to sin. Well, let's talk a bit a minute for how sin robs us of joy. And we already that came up really fast, right? When I said what robs us of our joy? Sin said really fast. Let's get a little more specific. What are some ways that sin robs us of our joy? Anxiety, okay. It separates us from God, sure. Guilt, that's a big one. What else? Another word that kind of goes with guilt. Right. Sure, those are those are lists of sins which by doing those things, causes the things we're talking about, right? It's how it robs us of our joy. Another word I'm looking for is shame. Kind of goes with guilt, right? There's shame attached to sin. What does guilt and shame cause us to do? It causes us, causes us to, to pull away from people. I'm, I'm ashamed. I don't want to be around other Christians. I'm ashamed of what I've done. So I stop coming to church. I stop going to Bible study. I separate myself from God's people. It's the opposite of what I should be doing. Isn't that... Funny how it's not really funny, but 
how that works, right? The sin causes us, the results of sin cause us to do the opposite of what we are supposed to do as Christians, which is I need to be in the fellowship of believers. I need to be sitting under the preaching of the word of God. I need to allow the Holy Spirit to convict me of my sin. I need to repent. I need believers to tell me, you need to repent. You're sinning. It's hard, right? Sin. It's easy how it robs us of our joy. It's the fear of being found out. Right? The having to cover up and to keep covering up, having to avoid people. It's exhausting to cover up sin. We have biblical examples of this, and in particular, in the example in the life of David, shows us how this works and how uh, we as Christians can overcome this of being robbed of joy in this way. And you know that King David had a very difficult time uh, in life at different points. He He's written a lot about that in the Psalms, about his own sin and, and how God has helped him out of that. The Bible tells us David is a man after God's own heart, but here is this man who suffered from the loss of joy at times. He felt the pressure of his enemies wanting to destroy him, and he also felt the pressure of guilt over sin. But what did he do after a time? Right? That's, that's the point. Right? He came back to the truth. He even asked God for God's help because he, he knew he needed it, as do you and me. We need it. We remember how David sinned by engaging in adultery with Bathsheba um, and how he tried to hide it, and he sinned even more by having her husband killed and trying to cover up this affair. Um, he had drifted from the Lord. He, he wandered off and began to search for joy outside of God's way. He sinned greatly, and it robbed him of his true joy. How do we know that? Well, David describes how his sin robbed him of joy in Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4. He says, for when I kept silent, he's referring to hiding his sin, covering up his sin. He says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. He's describing, really it is a, an inward guilt and pain because of sin and anguish. And he describes it in ways we can understand, the wasting away of our bones, being dried up like the heat of summer, or our strength just gone. It's exhausting. How can anyone have joy in the middle of that, right? If you and I, are, as Christians, are in sin, in unrepentant sin, we are not going to have joy. We're going to be robbed of our joy. It, doesn't, it sure doesn't sound like someone walking in the joy of the Lord, does it? But how did the Spirit of God restore his joy? Well, first, through what somebody said earlier, through conscience, the conviction of sin. Right? He convicts us of sin, which is one of the functions of the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us. He, he used the prophet Nathan to confront David over his sin. And this was the wound of a friend. Right? It's painful, but necessary to bring David back to correct thinking. David came back to remember that his sin was really not hidden from God. Can we hide our sin from God? No. We can hide it from other people for a while, but even that's exhausting. But try as you might, you will never hide your sin from God. He sees everything. He knows everything. 
Let's look at what David did in, in response. In Psalm, if you want to turn with me, Psalm 51. Let's go there and look. Psalm 51. And we'll look at verses 7 through 12. <clears throat> and keep in mind the context here is, is in regard to this sin in his life. It says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Okay, so here we can see the evidence that David had lost his joy. Okay, he, he, he's, the main thing he's asking for here is that God would restore to him the joy of his salvation. He had the joy of his salvation, but he had squelched it. He had set it aside for what we learn in earlier in Galatians 5 are works of the flesh. Yes, he wanted to be cleansed. He wanted a clean heart, he asks for. But he also wanted a right spirit within him. He wanted the joy of the Lord's salvation to be front and center in his thinking. It's what we all need all the time. We need the joy of our salvation in the forefront of our thinking because life is coming at us all the time. So sin, guilt, fear, and shame robbed him of his joy. And the Spirit of God restored it through right thinking according to the Word of God. He used another believer to do so as well, right? He used Nathan to confront him. And David's response was correct. This is the Christian response to being confronted over our sin. He acknowledged his sin. It, it was a work of the flesh, like I said, that Paul describes in Galatians 5. He repented. He called out to the Lord for help, to the only one who can help. He knew the truth, which he stated earlier in verse 4 in that psalm passage we just read. If, we, if you back up a little earlier to verse 4, it says, this is what David says about his sin, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Our sin ultimately Whatever we do in sin is ultimately always against God. Then we see how David describes the work of the Spirit and renewing that right spirit within him. In Psalm 32.5, uh, this is David's confession and God's forgiveness. He says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And you bump down to verse 7, this is David's return to right thinking that produces the joy of the Lord's salvation. He says, this is what he's declaring about God. Okay, this is the truth about God. He says, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. This is what brings about joy in our lives. We understand who God is. So when sin has robbed you of your joy, and it will, you need this. 
this deep down sense of well-being that abides in the heart of the person who knows all is well between himself and the Lord. Joy can be robbed because of sin, but the Spirit of God can produce joy through restoration after sin. Right? We know that to be true. Joy can also be robbed from us when we suffer and don't remember the Lord and His Word. The suffering can confuse us, can cause us to believe lies, it can cause us to doubt. How would we be able to experience the joy of salvation without adversity in life? If our joy were never tested, we would not fully grasp the work of the Holy Spirit in cultivating that joy in our lives. So God has given us hardships in life. He uses those in our lives. Someone else said, Joy is not an experience that comes from favorable circumstances, but even occurs when those circumstances are the most painful and severe. This is the real test of a Christian's joy in the Lord. How we respond to suffering. How we respond to trials in our lives. Paul suffered greatly because of his faith in Christ and his commitment to the gospel. Uh, At one point, he even describes how in his life, because of all the adversity, that he despaired of life itself. The trials of life, even apart from our own sin. Paul was suffering for the gospel, not because he sinned. So the, the trials of our life, even apart from our own sin, want to rob us of joy. It's not just sin, but circumstances of life can rob us of joy. But Paul was not robbed of his joy. In fact, just the opposite. In 2 Corinthians 7, 4, he said this, I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. What kind of thinking is that? In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. That seems like opposite world. But it's because of Christ. He's comforted in affliction, joyful in affliction, because he's remembered the truth. He hasn't forgotten who God is, and what God has done. <clears throat> yeah. Right. He, he was like the Energizer Bunny. <laughs> A lot of things Paul went through. He is he's a child of God, like you and I. God forgave his sins, like he has yours, if you're a Christian. He saved him. He, he has eternal rest to look forward to. He will be in God's presence forever in great joy and worship. We were just singing about these things. I don't know if you're as struck by this as I am, but this biblical teaching is constant in all of Scripture. That suffering, not only is suffering a part of our lives, but it has purpose. and God is using it to sanctify us. He is using it to make us more like Christ, to increase our faith. He's using it to... Increase our joy in Him. Um, yeah, yeah. You, you and I learn from this that we must trust the Lord, because the alternative is going to happen very frequently, which is I'm going to lose my joy because life is coming at me full speed all the time. Right? It's not always sunshine and lollipops, is it? Um, we have to remember that what God has said is true. He is true, and even Death, for the Christian, is nothing to fear. This is, this is amazing. 
This is not true of anyone else other than believers. The world cannot have joy when faced with the question of death. There's no joy in that. The author of Hebrews describes the world without Christ as being subject to lifelong slavery because of the fear of death. They cannot escape that fear. People, they might say that they don't fear death, but the Bible tells us something different, doesn't it? Everyone fears death. They are apart from Christ. There's no joy in that. But we as Christians learn from the Bible that we have the mindset of living for Christ on this earth as long as we're here uh, and knowing that if we die, it is to be counted to us as gain. Why would it be gain for me to die as a Christian? Yeah, no more pain, no more suffering, no more sin. I'm, I'm going to go and be with the Lord. I'm going to be with Christ, my Savior, ultimate joy. Right. Yeah, that's right. So the suffering that we face in our lives, the, the hardships, the trials, this is, these are opportunities. Um, opportunity, the, they're the right conditions, really, for the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit of joy in your life. Now, we've looked a bit at what robs us of our joy sometimes. I also want to talk about the practical benefits or the outworking of joy produced by the Holy Spirit in believers. Is it only for us, or is there another purpose for us being joyful? What does the Holy Spirit produce joy in? What does the Holy Spirit produced joy in a Christian look like to others? What do you? What do people see in us as Christians when we're joyful? What is the message we send to those around us? What about specifically for the unbeliever watching our lives? What do we? What message do we send? To them. Hope. Okay. Okay. What else? Steadiness and consistency. What would they be measuring that against? The world, right? The, what they can see happening to you. They can see the difficulties in your life and they can see how you're responding to it. Right? They see joyfulness in sickness, in pain, in persecution, in loss, etc., they're left to wonder how and why can you be joyful, not, ha not happy, right? It's not like you run around all giddy that you're in a lot of pain. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about happiness. We're talking about that joy from deep down within. They're going to ask why. We want them to ask why. What a, what a testimony to the joy of the Lord's salvation, isn't it? We can, have, we, we can have this testimony if we will show it on our faces, in our words, and in our actions. But it's hard. It's, it's really hard. Um, you know, when you stand up in front of people, and, I, and you look out over people, like sometimes if I'm preaching, and Brandon probably can testify to this, you can't help sometimes but look at people's faces and wonder, what's going on? I just... You look out and you just see this blank stare. And I'm left to think, what? What are they disagreeing with? Or 
what did I say that was wrong? Or I'm, I'm going to put them to sleep, whatever it might be. Right? But, so our faces say something. They, they send a message. And there's a story told of the great missionary uh, Adoniram Judson. We kind of talked about this a bit when we did our church history study. He's once on furlough, and he's passing through the city of Stonington, Connecticut. A young boy playing about the wars at the time of Judson's arrival was struck by the man's appearance. Never before had he seen such a light on any human face. He ran up the street to a minister and asked if he knew who the stranger was. The minister hurried back with him, but became so absorbed in conversation with Judson that he forgot all about the impatient youngster standing near him. Many years afterward, that boy who could never get away from the influence of that wonderful face, became the famous preacher Henry Clay Trumbull. In a book of memoirs, he penned a chapter entitled, What a Boy Saw in the Face of Adoniram Judson. That lighted countenance had changed his life. Even as flowers thrive when they bend to the light, so shining, radiant faces come to those who constantly turn toward Christ. So this, just the way that this... Missionary carried himself because he's in Christ. It, it reminded me of Moses, right? When Moses met with the Lord and he was glowing. Um, and so there's something about his face that literally drew this young boy's attention and he never forgot it. And this really is a biblical truth that, that the way we carry ourselves, the way we interact with others and exhibit a redeemed life before the world does something wonderful. Right? And we do this because of the joy that is produced in us by the Spirit. I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, look at verses 14 through 16. This is in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. As you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Okay, we are to let our light shine in this way. We are to let the joy of our salvation shine before people. And what is, according to that passage, what is the ultimate purpose of this outward manifestation of our joy? It brings glory to God. It points people to God. It's the only answer that someone could have this kind of joy in this dark and sinful world. It is because they've been redeemed. But what if you and I, who claim to be Christians, are walking around as if we have nothing to be joyful about? Right? Maybe... Life is hard. Member, family members are sick or in pain or even dying. You name the hardship of life. Does it matter what we look like to others or how we speak about our difficulties? As Christians, does it matter? Yes. Now, this isn't to say that you can't be sad over loss. But, for how long? And, and what does that look like? How, how do other people see that? Does it match up with what you say about your life as a Christian? Or does the, having the 
downcast look on our faith, does it send an opposite message to the world around us? That he says he's a Christian and he has joy in Christ, but I don't see it. What are people left to think when we walk around with hanging shoulders and downcast faces and mouths full of complaining? What are we really saying? What are we saying about life, about our relationship with the Lord? What are they left to think? I'm no different than anybody else. What else? That? Yeah, I have no hope. I'm sending that message. What other messages am I sending? There's no reason for joy in life. If that's what a Christian looks like, I don't need that. I, you know, I can look like that all the time. No need for that kind of Savior, right? They don't really trust God. Why should this person then trust God when they can be just as miserable as you without him? Maybe you're not, they're left to think maybe you're not even a believer. You say you're a believer. I don't even know if you're a believer. We have no joy. This is a message we send to people. That is not the truth, is it? We must think differently and act differently. The Spirit of God is producing joy in us. And we've forgotten or set the truth about God aside for a time. We need to be reminded. We need to be brought back to the truth. Am, am I, as a Christian, permitted to be this way, really? Am I permitted to... Live a life without joy? No. The, the command from Scripture is this, Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. And the very next verse in that passage says, To let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. People are watching. 1 Thessalonians 5.16-18 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The next verse says not to quench the Spirit. Whether, whether by sin or unbelief or bad attitudes, you're going against the will of God for your life. It is the will of God for your life that you will rejoice always. Because you have reason to. If you're a Christian, you have reason to. Um, the command is to rejoice always. We have God's promise that His Spirit is producing in us that joy that only he can produce and the ability to show it. In Romans 12, 12, it says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. This is what a Christian looks like. There's no excuse. We have no out, no, no uh, ability to justify not being joyful, even in the hardest of circumstances. I have to quote Spurgeon again. He says, Gloomy Christians who do not resist despondency and strive against it, but who go about as if midnight had taken up its abode in their eyes and an everlasting frost had settled on their souls, are not obeying the commands of God. The command to rejoice is as undoubted a precept of God as to love the Lord with all your heart. The vows of God are upon you, O believer, and they bind you to be joyful. Joy in God is is suitable to our condition. Why should the children of a king go mourningly all their days? We have to remember 
this. We learn from the Bible to let the light of our joy shine before men. The Spirit of God producing joy in your heart is, in fact, indispensable if you're sharing the gospel with somebody. How are you going to share the gospel with somebody about the joy you have in the Lord when you're looking like and acting like you don't believe it? It it doesn't go together, does it? We need this joy in our lives, even, even in sharing the gospel with people. That's right. That's right. It's a it's a good point. And yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I made that point about when we were when I was preaching about contentment. That we can be we can get discouraged because we fail at this, can't we? But we do have to remember that this is an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. None of us has arrived at perfect joy and in word and deed and facial expressions. We're not there, but what do we do? We continue, to, like David, to ask God to help us. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. When you find yourself in that place where you're down and you're maybe setting aside the word of God and you realize it, you come to him in prayer, rejoicing, asking him to restore that joy to you. Yes, yeah, so... Don't be discouraged and think, therefore, I'm not a Christian because I'm not joyful right now. No, come back to the truth. Come back to the Lord, and he will help you. You say, well, it's too hard. I'm, I'm not strong enough to be joyful in my difficult circumstances. Okay, but what does the Bible teach us? We have to ask ourselves that question. Are you, are you trying to be strong in order to be joyful? Are you trying to conjure up this joy in your life, well, that's backward thinking. It goes against what the Scripture says. How does the Bible teach us to think rightly here? At the end of verse 10 in the 8th chapter of Nehemiah, the prophet says this, when the people are faced with the holiness of God and their inability to follow the law, he says, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's different. Where does joy fit into God's idea of what gives strength? If you had to answer that question, how would you say it? Where does joy fit into God's idea of what gives strength? What was that? In your weakness? Sure, okay. But somebody else says something. Faith? Okay, yeah, it's the source. right? We're not getting strong to be joyful. The joy of our salvation in the Lord, the joy that's produced by the Holy Spirit is our source of strength. That's the opposite of us trying to conjure it up. Right? It's what he does. It comes first. We don't get strong or be strong and then get joyful. The Spirit of God gives you strength for all things by producing joy in your heart. And it's based in the truth about who God is and what he's done. So James can say... uh, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And in the face of the hatred of the world toward Christians, Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 12, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. You and I need the 
fruit of the Spirit of joy so desperately in, in order to live this Christian life. We absolutely need it. And I, I hope you recognize the connection between all of the fruit of the Spirit. Love is not separated from joy. It's the foundation of these other things that we'll go through. These are all connected. It's really hard to talk about joy here and not also talk about peace, but that's coming up. Um, in John 15, Jesus spoke about how he's the vine, we are the branches, um, and we need to abide in him. This is the secret of Christian joy, to abide in him, to live there, to remain there, to trust him in all things. And Jesus actually went on to clarify why he said what he did about abiding in him. In John 15, 11, he said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. That's amazing. He gives us his word so that we will know him and thereby have joy in him. And in addition, he promises that our joy in him will be full. Are we going to abandon that? Are we going to set that aside? No, we can't. We shouldn't. Remember, when the difficulties of life come, that's often what we find ourselves doing. Turn quickly. Come back quickly. And when you see other believers turning away from the word of God, help them, remind them about the joy produced by the Spirit in our lives. And it's that same passage in John 15 where, where Jesus talks about uh, how we can do nothing apart from him. We need the Holy Spirit producing this in our lives, and by God's grace, he does. So I guess the question for us then is this. Maybe it's multiple questions. Am I a joyful Christian? Are you a joyful Christian? Do, do I find my joy in Christ and his salvation, or do I look, speak, and act like a person who has no reason for joy and, and no source of joy? What message am I sending to the world around me? What message are you sending to the world around you? Even by the way you hold your face. I've been accused of being angry before. I'm not, but it's just because my eyebrows sag and this kind of thing. So I, I have to try to remember to smile sometimes. I have plenty to smile about. It's a hard one, hard one for us to think about this because um, we're not always great at it. But uh, can we not remember those simple words as Christians from Jesus, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. We have so much to rejoice over, so much to be joyful about. When you find yourself feeling weak in this area, uh, is it not true then that the joy of the Lord is your strength? Remember that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Not your strength brings about the joy of the Lord. Okay? Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you teach us about joy. Not only do you teach us about joy, but you teach us that you are the one who produces that joy in us. Thank you, Lord, for salvation that is found in Christ alone. Thank you that you have made a way, Lord, through repentance and faith in Christ that our sins can be forgiven, blotted out. You cast them away, Lord. No longer We no longer are condemned, no longer have the wrath of God abiding on us. We are free in Christ, and we thank you for it, Lord. You are so gracious and kind and loving. Help us, Lord, to be joyful Christians. 
Help, our, help it to show on our faces and in our speech and as we endure the difficult trials of life. Lord, help us to be sad and mourn when we need to, but never to lose our joy. Help us never to forget who you are and what you have done and to proclaim that to those around us. We'll give you praise for all of it. In Jesus' name, amen.